So an interesting um, truth, I guess you'd say, about life is that for the most part, and I would say like this is 90% true of life, is we like things that are innovative or creative or new or the next thing uh, when it comes to about 90% of life. You know, we love a new car, even if it's just new to us because it's used from somebody else. Or, you know, we love a new app or a new product or we love a new haircut or a new baby or a new outfit or a new you know what we like things that are new and different in about 90 percent of life but there's another 10 percent of life where we love our traditions and we don't want things to ever change and christmas is one of those times where we love our traditions like we don't want things to change we like it just the way it's always been and I, you know we have a lot of different traditions in our family and one of the traditions and i'm not exactly sure how this started but about 15 years ago this started in our family is we went christmas tree shopping um, as a family all six of us uh, and brought a football with us uh, and so at the time uh, my boys were three six and nine uh, and they were throwing the football around. And every Christmas since then, whenever we go Christmas shopping, they're like, we got to get the football. And, you know, and now they're 15, 18, and 21. Uh, but no matter where we go looking for a Christmas tree, whether it's at Lowe's or Home Depot or Capital Market or a few years we've cut our own Christmas tree, they're always slinging that thing around. And then Stacy and Emily, they are examining every single tree. They're like, okay, is it full enough? Is it tall enough? Does it have any bare spots? And so, and I'm trying to manage like the boys to make sure that they don't hit somebody, some employee, but also trying to tend to Stacy and, and Emily and like, what about this tree? I'm like, looks great, but I don't really care what it looks like all that much. And so I'm kind of playing both sides, but it's just funny. We have this tradition. And so, you know, this past week we walked into Lowe's, throwing the football around, uh, just like everyone. It's just, I love that part of our Christmas tradition. I mean, our kids will probably be in their 50s and 60s throwing a football around as we pick out a tree. We love that part of the traditions of Christmas. You know, there's another funny Christmas tradition that we have in our family um, is we have what we affectionately call Christmas ovals. And we had these things for like 15 years. We finally got rid of them. But so in our house, you got to kind of picture we have two dormers in the front of our house with windows in them. And so what we do is we put out wreaths and they're probably like, I don't know, probably about that big across, probably two and a half feet wreaths. Um, but the window is only like 18 inches. And so you got to kind of squish it and then stick it out. And then we have a hook or a nail out there. We hang it on and then we run the lights inside. If you kind of picture that. Um, but over the years, if you put the thing out and then bring it back in, it eventually switches from a circle to an oval. And so we had for the longest time what we refer to as our Christmas ovals. And eventually they just became like way too oblong to even be reason. The lights on broke. But it was one of those traditions where we just like to pick on and make fun of our Christmas ovals. And you probably have Christmas uh, traditions like that as well. But I share that. We love our traditions of Christmas. But this week, as I was honestly just preparing for this message and thinking through some of our Christmas traditions, I realized that 2020, we're not going to be able to do all the things that we love to do 
at Christmas time because of this pandemic that's going on. I mean, one of the things that I love about Christmas Eve is that we all pack into this auditorium and we bring every chair that we can find from all around the building and people still keep coming in and it's like 40 degrees outside but we have the air conditioning on in here because it's so hot because it's filled with bodies and we're bringing in stools and people are standing. I just, I just love that. It, and the babies are crying and it's just, there's something about that I just love that tradition of a Christmas Eve service. And then we go and we give out cups in the community. I'm like, gosh, we're not going to be able to do that this year. And we're not going to be able to see my parents this year, which we usually do. We're not going to be able to see Stacy's parents, which we usually do. There's a lot about Christmas that's going to be kind of disappointing. And so this week, as I was preparing this message, I was actually, I don't know, maybe feeling a little bit sorry for myself or kind of lamenting a bit. And then God hit me with this verse. And I want to encourage you with this verse as we get started. God hit me with this verse as I'm going, things are going to be different this year. It's not going to be the same. And it was this. This is a book from the book of Hebrews. It says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And I realized in that moment that God kind of spoke this verse to me, and maybe you find it encouraging as well, is that why Christ came and who Jesus is, that doesn't change. It doesn't matter if a national pandemic is going on. It doesn't matter who's been elected president or who hasn't been elected president. It doesn't matter whether kids are in school or out of school or any of that stuff. That doesn't matter. None of those things change the fact that the God of the universe came into our world. I love how the writer of the Gospel of John put it. He said, In him, that's in Jesus, was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And as I realized that verse, I realized we have this opportunity to maybe look at Christmas a little bit differently this year. That, yeah, we're going to miss some of the traditions. I'm going to miss some of the traditions. But yet the light of the world comes into our world. And so we've named this series. It's called this. It's called A Very Bright Christmas. And very is spelled V-E-R-R-Y. Get it? Like very, merry. Yeah, kind of funny. Um, but it's called A Very Bright Christmas. Because the light of the world entered into our world in a stable 2,000 years ago and lights up the darkness around us. And so what we're going to do over the next three weeks is we're going to look at some of the names of Jesus. Now, when we think about the names of Jesus, we think about the names of God, we're like, well, it, there's God and there's like Lord. And I don't know, is there other names? Oh, but the Old Testament is filled with all these other names for who God is. And the same is true in the New Testament. You know, we have, well, it's Jesus, and I guess you could call him Christ, or you could, you could put them together and call him Jesus Christ, or backwards in Christ Jesus, and you hear that. But there are these other names for Jesus that we find throughout the New Testament that help us to understand who he is. Because God gives us names for himself. Jesus gives us names and titles for himself. And those things help us to understand the fullness of who he is. And the more that we can understand the fullness of who Jesus is, the more he will be to us those things. And so this morning, the title or the name that we're going to look at that Jesus gives or that Jesus has 
is that he is the way maker. He is the way maker. So if you have your Bible, we're going to start actually in the Old Testament. So turn over to Isaiah chapter 43. So Isaiah chapter 43, and it says this. Thus says the Lord who makes a way, so there's the way maker, who makes a way in the sea, a path in the mighty waters, who brings forth chariot and horse, army and warrior. They lie down, they cannot rise. They are extinguished, quenched like a wick. Remember not the former things, but consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. So here's the first part of Waymaker is that God makes a way. God makes a way. As we look at this passage, the first half of it kind of looks backwards. And the second half looks kind of backwards as well as forwards. And here's what I mean. So it says this. It says, thus says the Lord who makes a way in the sea, a path in the mighty waters. And so what this is referring to is... Um, the, the nation of Israel is in slavery in Egypt. And so you, maybe you know the story. Moses says, let my people go, let my people go. And, and the 10 plagues come on Egypt. And eventually Pharaoh says, you can leave. And so Israel it packs up real quick and they leave. But then Pharaoh kind of changes his mind and he goes after them with the army. The Egyptian army is chasing after the Israelites. And so the Israelites, they, all they can do is flee. They don't really have many means to fight. And so they get backed up to the Red Sea and they're looking at the Red Sea and they're looking at the army of Egypt and they're like, we're in trouble. And then God parts the Red Sea and the Israelites are able to walk through it in safety. And then it crashes in as the Egyptians try and follow them through. And that's what it says. It's the Lord who makes a way through the sea, a, a path in the mighty waters. And then it goes on. And so Israel, they're on the other side of the Red Sea, uh, but they're not sort of out of danger completely. Now they're left to wander in the wilderness. And they actually end up wandering in the wilderness for about 40 years. But the second part of this says, Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? It says this, I will make a way in the wilderness. And so what's talking about, it's this idea that God is making a way for us into the future. And so we can look back and say, God has provided in the past. And we look forward and we say, and God will provide a way in the future because he is the way maker. Now, I don't know where you're at this morning, but maybe you feel like the Israelite army and you are backed up against the sea. You are backed up and you're like, I don't know where to go. I can't see a way out of whatever it is that is just closing in on you. And what this says is that God is going to open a door. God, in the same way that you part of the Red Sea, that God is the way maker. He's going to show you a way through whatever it is that you're facing. Or maybe you feel more like the Israelites in the desert, and you're just kind of wandering around aimlessly going, where am I going? What are we doing? And maybe that's where you are. And you're like, it's not like I have one way. There's like 40 different directions I could go, and I don't know which way to go. And here again, we see that this is the way maker, that he shows us the way, the path to go when we don't know which way to go. So we go from the Old Testament to the New Testament. And we find these words in the book of John. This is John chapter 
14. And Jesus is talking to the disciples and he's kind of explaining heaven and, and what he is and who he is. And, and they're not really getting it. And so Thomas asks him this question. He's like, help us to understand. And this is Jesus' response. Jesus said to him, so he says to Thomas, but all the disciples are listening and we get to listen in. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So God makes a way, but then we learn that Jesus is the way. He says, I am the way. No one comes to the Father except through me. You see, what he's saying is the only way to heaven, the only way to the Father is through me, through Jesus Christ. He doesn't say, I'm a way. He's saying, I'm one of a couple of good options. He's saying, no, I am the way. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus Christ. And that's because Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. And when we receive him as the savior of our lives, that is us making him the way for us, the truth for us, the life for us. And that's how we get to heaven is through Jesus Christ and him alone. And so as Jesus says this to Thomas and we get to listen in, he says, I am the way. And I want to give you an analogy to help us to understand what it means that Jesus is the way. Um, so you've probably been to a big box store um, and, and there's sort of two different kind of box stores or maybe two different employees, depending which way you look at it. Uh, but you go into a big box store, whatever it is, Walmart, Lowe's, Home Depot, something, whatever it is. Uh, and you go in and you say and you're looking for something and you can't find it. And so you say to the employee, you say, hey. I'm looking for a camp chair. Can you help me find a camp chair? You know, folding out, fold out chair. And so the employee says, oh, it's over in aisle 49. It's uh, next to the coolers and kind of across from the fishing rods. And you're like, okay. And so you head over there to aisle 46. And you're like, where is it? You're like, oh, that's right. It's aisle 49. Okay. And you go over to aisle 49B and, and you're looking around and you can't find it. So you see another employee, you're like, hey, can you tell me where the camp chairs are? And it's like, well, it's just down there around the corner and you, you'll see them on the end aisle display and you, you go down there and finally you find them. And, and for everybody, that's a frustrating experience, right? But sometimes you go to a big box store or a small store, Zeger Hardware, I love going there um, because they always do this. And I ask, hey, where can I find something? But you go in to whatever store and say, where's the camp chairs, the fold-out chairs? Do, do you have any of those? And the employee, instead of saying, it's over there, what do they do? They walk you there. They say, hey, it, it's this way. And they walk with you. Maybe they ask you some questions. Maybe they don't. But you get there and they point out the chair, whatever the item that you need is. And it's right there. You have any questions about it? And you, you know, you look at it and then they ask the greatest question in the world. Is there anything else I can help you find? And you're like, yeah, actually I need a cordless drill. And then they take you. They don't point you, they take you. And you see, that's what I love about Jesus. Jesus is the way maker and Jesus is the way. He walks with us through every aspect of our life. He doesn't just say, go that way and good luck. Jesus walks with us. He walks with us through our pain. He walks with us as we deal with our past. He walks with us through our shame. He walks with us in the joys of life, in the struggles of life, in the difficulties of life. And Jesus even walks with us into our sin. 
He doesn't say, oh, your sin, I'm staying away. No, he walks with us into the sin that we do and commit because at some point we're going to come to our senses and go, how do we get out of this? And Jesus is there beside us saying, this is the way out from the path of sin that you've gone down on your own. I love that about Jesus. He is the way and he walks with us everywhere that we go. And then here's the last one. So God makes a way, Jesus is the way, and finally, I prepare the way. You prepare the way. Look at Mark chapter 1 with me. It says this in Mark chapter 1, the first three verses. It says, In the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in the prophet Isaiah, Behold, I send my message before your face. Who will prepare your way? The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. Now, part of the Christmas story, and if you're doing the Advent reading, you'll get to this probably this week. Uh, It talks about Elizabeth and Zechariah, and they have a son whose name is John. And then we know John from here as John the Baptist. And John the Baptist, his mission or his role is that he was to prepare the way for Jesus. He was to prepare the way for Jesus. And that's our role as well. And this is something that, that, um, that John says. says, after he preached, he said this. This is verse 7. He said, uh, after me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down And untie. He says, I am not the way. Jesus is the way. He is great. I'm not even low enough. I'm not even humble enough to untie his sandals. And anything at that time having to do with feet was just nasty work, right? He goes, I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. You see, John's job, my job, your job, is to prepare the way for Jesus. You see, John could baptize somebody, and he did, but John couldn't provide salvation. There are things that you and I can provide to the people around us. You know, we can give a hug. We can give a word of encouragement. We can care. We can love. We can even give some direction, some advice, some counsel about what people might be able to do. But the thing that we cannot do is we cannot provide salvation to anybody. Only Jesus Christ can provide salvation to someone. And so our job is that we point the way. We say, that's where life is found. That is the light of the world. Jesus is where it's at. Jesus is the way. Follow him. We don't want to pull people to ourselves. We want to point people to Jesus. So I want to give you three application questions. And each of these application questions are going to help you to prepare the way for Jesus. The first is this. Is have I placed my faith in Jesus Christ? Have I placed my faith in Jesus Christ? Have you placed your faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins? Because that's how we find salvation. We don't find salvation by attending church. 
We don't find salvation by trying to be just like Jesus and trying to be good enough. We don't find salvation by stopping to sin or getting rid of enough sin. No, salvation is found when we place our faith in Jesus Christ. And my question to you is, have you done that? Have you placed your faith in Christ? And if you haven't, I encourage you to do that this morning. Here's the second question. Am I inviting people to see Jesus in my life? Am I inviting people to see Jesus in my life? Do people see Jesus in your life? And I'm not saying, and the Bible doesn't say you have to be perfect for that to happen. I'm not asking, are you perfect? But what I am asking, what I am challenging you to ask the question is, do people see Jesus in your life? Are you moving towards him as you move on in your life? Or do people look at your life and go, if that's what following Jesus is about, I'm not sure I want that. Because there's a whole lot of anger, a whole lot of bitterness, a whole lot of unforgiveness, a whole lot of whatever it is. Are you working towards becoming who God wants you to be in the sense of, do you have a life that is inviting people to see Jesus in your life? And then here's the third question. Am I inviting people to see Jesus this Christmas? Am I inviting people to see Jesus this Christmas? And I tell you, it's harder this year because we can't be together. We can't have a Christmas party where we love our neighbors well. We can't do a lot of those things. But I would say this, more than any other year, people need the hope of Christ. People need the light of the world in their own lives. And so I don't want us to give up and say, ah, it's too hard. I want us to take the opportunities that we do have to invite people to see the Christ of Christmas. You know, a couple of ways that that might happen. One is every Sunday morning in December, we're going to be talking about a title of who Jesus is. And invite somebody to watch it with you. And each week I'm going to present the gospel, invite people to receive Christ. Maybe you invite people to be a part of church and, and maybe you do a Facebook, I don't know what they call that, a, a group thing together, a watch party, or you share the sermon afterwards. But I encourage you to use the Sunday sermons to invite people to see the Christ of Christmas. Here's the second opportunity is on December the 20th, we're going to have an outside carol sing here at the church, outside in the parking lot. And uh, we're going to light candles, hoping it won't be too windy. Uh, we're going to take communion together and we're going to sing the Christmas carols that we love to sing. A great opportunity to invite somebody to say, hey, just meet us there, drive in your own car. You can sit, you can stand, you can stay in your car. But we're going to encourage people to do that and for you to come and to invite somebody to that. And then on Christmas Eve, we're not able to gather, but we're in the process of putting together a phenomenal Christmas Eve service. It's going to be, uh, going to be broadcast 5 o'clock on uh, Christmas Eve uh, that you can watch then or you can watch it with friends uh, later or share it or, or however you want to do it. But encourage people to be a part of that, to take advantage of that. So today we've talked about Jesus is the way maker. And some of you are like, who are kind of smarter than the average bear going, isn't there a song? Isn't there a song? There's a song, right? There's a song, right? Yeah, about way maker. Yeah, we actually just sang it like 30 minutes ago. And it's way maker. And we're going to talk about these titles, that he's the way maker. He's the miracle worker. He's the promise keeper. He's the light in the darkness. And we're going to talk about that over the course of this series and I encourage you to come back and to be a part of it. I want to close um, 
with a line from A Christmas Carol that's really kind of hit me this week. And I, I've got my playlist, my uh, Spotify playlist on, on repeat of just playing lots of different Christmas songs. Uh, but there's a song called Oh Holy Night. And there's a line that stuck out to me. It says, a thrill of hope, a weary world rejoices. A weary world rejoices. I don't, I can't remember a time when our world has been more weary than it is right now. But I can't think of another time where our world needs the hope of Christ more. The thrill of hope because a weary world rejoices that Christ has come. And so I encourage you to do your role, to do your part in being one who prepares the way for Jesus, to point the world around us, the weary world so in need of Jesus, to point them to Jesus, the hope of the world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for these words from the Bible. Thank you that Jesus is the way maker, that you show the way that Jesus is the way. And it's a huge responsibility that we prepare the way. God, would you help us to do that and give us opportunities to invite people to see who you are, that you are a life changer. You are the way maker. In Jesus' name, amen.